Hello and welcome to the Double Double. My name is David Dixon. It is Tuesday, November 24th here in New York City. Hope everyone is doing well, staying safe and healthy as Battle Against the Coronavirus rages on. Here I'm going to say on the podcast is a really fun discussion I had with my friend Coach Max Sass earlier today. We talk all things NBA draft, NBA free agency, a couple more trades that happened before we hit on a little college football, a little college basketball. Mega podcast today. It is a holiday weekend. Hope everyone has a safe, happy, and fun, enjoyable Thanksgiving. And for the holiday weekend, give you guys a little extra content. Mega podcast today. A lot of fun to do. I hope you guys all enjoy. So without further ado, I'm going to hit the music. When we come back, it's my interview and conversation from earlier today with Max S. me now on the line once again it's my good friend head coach pratt institute coach max sass to help break down all the events of the nba draft and the rapid fire free agency 2020 edition coach what's going on not much excited to be back appreciate you having me on again uh, excited to keep doing this for a little bit longer until you or the listeners get tired of me that well, that won't happen on on my end. But we have we have one particular listener out in uh, Ann Arbor who's preparing to play a big game tomorrow. Who uh who likes to poke fun at at uh, our chats because as he would do back at the good old Wesleyan days as well. Shout out Harry Rafferty. But it's been a long week in the NBA since we last spoke. The draft happened, free agency happened. Woj and Shams finally got to go to bed. Uh <laughs> Just we talked a lot last week about the NBA draft, so so let's start there. What did you think of just the draft itself as a production and in the broadcast? Because you know, like everything in twenty twenty, virtual guys were at home. It was just basically a studio show. What did you really think of it? I actually thought they did a nice job, uh, given the circumstances. I thought they did a nice job of. Um, being prepared and making sure that the prospects all had the hats. And yeah, I, I think they sent, um, you know, like 30 or 40 players the hat for every team in the NBA to make sure they were prepared. Um, I thought they did a nice job. I mean, you, you, I really enjoyed just early on some of the moments like the interview with um, Onyeka Okongwu, mm-hmm. um, you know, after losing his brother, I thought that interview was really terrific. I, I thought they did a nice job of still making the event special and exciting, uh, even though it wasn't there in person. But we did miss the weird, you know, like uh, guy in the green room for yeah. 36 picks thing. But I, I'm actually OK with that. I don't need to see people suffer. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I thought Malika Andrews, who did a great job throughout the whole time in the bubble, it felt like she was there the whole time. I'm not 100% certain on that. But to go from the bubble to basically, because I saw some behind the scenes, it was basically just a huge studio with a green screen behind her to conducting those uh, short interviews the way that she would in, uh, in a normal draft year. But virtually, I thought she did a really, really good job of that. The, the issue I have with the NBA draft is... And I don't know why it is, and maybe just there's just more logistical things to go through it. But the first problem I have is that there's so many trades in a traditional draft. But unlike the NFL draft, 
these get announced on Twitter and then they get announced 10, 15, 20 picks later during the draft. So uh, so we always see the player like Luka Doncic wearing the Atlanta Hawks hat when he got picked, even though everyone knew and he knew that he was going to the Dallas Mavericks. And we saw that again this year with the RJ Hampton. His dad was mad because he had to wear the Bucks hat or whatever was going on there. I don't understand why it takes so long for the league to approve of the trades or to announce the trades. Because I think that could kind of improve the the audience's watchability of the draft where you have like all the people in studio talking about, okay, this guy's actually going to this team, even though he's wearing the Brooklyn Nets hat at 19, he's going to the Clippers, you know? Right. It's definitely an issue. Um, I think, uh, for example, I read something about the uh, Dennis Schroeder trade to the, the Lakers where pick 28 went back to the Thunder. Yeah. Uh, it was agreed upon but had not been processed because um, there was a cap space issue. They had a fit. Uh, the Lakers had to fit Schroeder into a certain space, but they needed certain guys to be signed first before they could bring him in and add him on top. Or so that part I understand, but generally I, I agree with you. It, it does. It just takes too long, and um, I, I mean I think some of those moments are a little funny, but yeah, it's also it, we come on. Like this is the most advanced and probably the most progressive league in the world. You know, let, let's get this figured out, Adam Silver. And also on on the ESPN side, I think they could do better with the four that they have. I'm not a Jay Williams guy. I I get that he's somehow relatively popular, but he just I don't know. He's he just says a lot of things that are just wrong a lot of the times. And I get that he's friends with Durant. He says it with conviction. He does say with conviction, like he there we did he did go on get up and say with conviction that the Cavs beat the Warriors in the twenty seventeen finals and that was his whole case for why they were gonna win in twenty eighteen. And then Mike Greenberg of all people to be like, uh actually they didn't win. Uh the Warriors <laughs> won last year. Uh so Jay Williams, like it felt like after the fifteenth or sixteenth pick, he didn't know any of these people. Jay Billis you know, I would have I, I would have liked to see more personality. I really like Mike Schmitz. I think he has potential from Draft Express, but he's so young that he's just like so happy to be there that he doesn't want to like make anyone upset like that. Just like I want them to do like what we were all doing at home of like when when a pick happens, don't talk about how this dude could like really help you because obviously well, they're going to be positive, but like. Have some personality like Mel Kuyper and be like, this pick was terrible. Like, I don't know what they're doing. And be like, I'm rooting for the kid, but, like, this is why this team always picks in the top five. Is Jonathan Gavoni their version of Kuyper and McShay? He is, but Gavoni's not as good on TV as Schmitz. They've clearly just said Gavoni can do the podcast, but just Schmitz, for whatever reason, is always doing the TV stuff from the Draft Express side of things. Uh so that's why they throw Schmitz up there instead of Gavoni. Uh, but they don't have like the draft guy who's just going to tell it like it is. Like, look, I'm rooting for all these players. I hope that they all su- succeed. But if you're wondering, if you're a fan of you know the Detroit Pistons and you take four centers when the center position has just been devalued the last decade, like, don't be surprised like to see tomorrow morning and all the draft recaps you guys getting D's and F's and everyone's grades. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that 
I think that one of the things the NFL draft has figured out how to do, and maybe they're just a couple years ahead of the NBA, is they, it feels like they have more former executives and coaches that weigh in as well. Yeah. Um, and, and, and there's certainly former players as well, but it feels like the NBA draft is a little bit more heavy on former players than former decision makers. Yes. Um, but, and, and maybe that's a contributing factor potentially it's it's definitely it's definitely interesting because they also have to figure out what to do with Woj because Woj is like this Woj is like everyone knows who Woj is he's like the Twitter guy who breaks all the stories and so he tips the picks on Twitter which also makes the draft less enjoyable because like if you want to text along with your friends like you know I guess I could just turn off his tweet notification so this sounds more like a me problem but <laughs> his verbiage is amazing. It's it's amazing. And but like he's there like he should just be he should either just be one of those four talking the whole time, like be able to interrupt anyone. I heard I think it was Simmons says so I don't want to repeat his exact point, but it was like just, they have to figure out something more to do with Woj. Uh, and because Schefter and Chris Mortensen uh are a big part of the NFL draft coverage. And I, I would like to see Woj be more involved and uh, just th- throughout the entire night. And because I think he's a huge, huge asset for them and everyone knows who he is. Do they usually, and maybe this is a, a virtual issue versus uh, and a COVID issue versus an NBA issue, but I feel like the NFL does a really nice job of embedding reporters with teams or not the NFL, but ESPN or NFL networks coverage does a good job of embedding reporters with teams. Mm -hmm. And so instead of sort of your general hosts telling you what they're thinking, they kick it to a, an on-site reporter. Interesting. Yeah. Do you feel like the NBA could, I mean, there's enough staff at ESPN, you know, you know what I mean? I'm not saying they need all 30 teams. They don't need 30 people, but, um, it would just be interesting. I think it would be really interesting. Like, I love Zach Lowe. I think he's one of the best NBA writers really good. out there. Really good. I would love to see Zach Lowe, who, by all accounts, doesn't watch or know that much about the college basketball guys coming out because he's so focused on the NBA. I would love right. to have to have him there giving the team side of things and then just his personal opinion. Like, all right, this pick at 22, you know, he looked good on YouTube. Like... <laughs> Uh, and just well, do like it, Zach's know, instant what would, reactions. What would be a really interesting perspective from a guy like Zach Lowe, who, like you mentioned, is admittedly not following enough college basketball, is that he doesn't get swayed by the hype around no, yeah. the name, and he could give a really interesting perspective of, look, this is what they need, this is what they need to address. Um, okay, now Jonathan Gaboni, Mike Schmitz, whoever it is, who do you think best fits that? that position or that spot and then okay now we have the idea of this is what charlotte needs Mm -hmm. but this is the best guy on the board so now if you have a really good host you can now go back and forth and say okay we've heard from both sides and now you bring in your jay williams jay billis's type people like that and say okay where best player or best fit 100 percent, yeah they'll they'll figure it out because they have a lot of talent and they'll they'll figure out what what to do because the NBA draft as as just the league gets more popular, the draft is going to get more popular, especially the upcoming class, the twenty twenty one class. 
seems like right now has a lot of potential to have some guys at the top uh, be really, really highly coveted and, and, and highly valued by executives and teams around the league. So we'll definitely see what they do. Transitioning over to just the actual draft itself, when I talked about how guys want to criticize, Jay Billis came the closest with LaMelo Ball saying like, this guy needs to work on his shooting and defense because he shot 25% and doesn't play defense. And But besides that, he'll be pretty good or he has a chance to be pretty good. Like Those are pretty important things. But what were just some of your, of the actual draft, just your initial surprises or takeaway of how the actual draft unfolded? You know, I'm not sure there were a ton of shocks necessarily uh, at least in the first three right i think the first three um picks there was a pretty clear tier of guys that everyone knew uh now the 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 timberwolves sort of had to decide which one of the three they were going to take yeah Um, and ultimately and and i should have been more decisive about saying this on our podcast last week but i think i sort of hinted at it i really do think the wolves see D'Angelo Russell as their main ball handler. And and now I guess they brought back in rookie Rubio as well, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, so it didn't make a ton of sense to me to bring in LaMelo Ball. I do think he was the best player in this year's class, but Anthony Edwards just positionally fit in a lot better with uh, what, what um, they're trying to do there in Minnesota. So I should have been a little bit more you know, decisive about that and arguing it. So I think that made sense. And then I think the Warriors were very happy. Um, though at the same time, I think the Warriors would have been perfectly content to trade down. Yeah. I think just the issue with their, and we talked about this last week, right? Sam Vesney didn't have anyone in his tier one of, of draft prospects this year. So because everything was so hit or miss in a lot of ways, there wasn't the type of trade market at the top that we've seen in the past, right? Like we're going to go into the next NFL draft and the trade market is going to be absolutely ridiculous when you have guys like Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, who teams think is an absolute no brainer. LaMelo ball, James Wiseman, Anthony Edwards weren't doing that for teams this year. So um, I think teams were, were kind of more than happy to stay where they are. Um, I thought there were some smaller surprises. Like I thought Isaac Okoro, to the Cavaliers was, you know, maybe three or four picks higher than I expected. Um, obviously, um, I know we'll talk about the Knicks, but uh, as I texted you as the draft was going on, I was just absolutely devastated um, that they uh, Tyrese Halliburton was not the selection. I mean, I can't even tell you how excited I was. I knew the Pistons needed the point guard. When they took Killian Hayes, I, I was over the moon. I was so excited, and they didn't the Knicks then didn't take Tyrese Halliburton. I mean, so I, I was really upset about that. So, um, you know, I, that, that, that surprised me a little bit. I mean, a Kongu, uh, going, going him and a Coro, I thought maybe went a couple spots higher than expected, but generally, um, I didn't think there was anything crazy. Oh, Kongu bit wise. Didn't make sense to me unless Atlanta said that he was by far and away the best player on the board because they trade for Clint Capella last year they still have John Collins, like, maybe they think Okongwu can play the four, but at least starting out right now, I thought that he was a uh, a, a five, a rim-running, uh, screen-setting, hopefully shot-blocking five, and 
I just don't know how much he's going to play there when they have Collins and Capella and, and him now. Like, how much can they all play together? I, I, I'm, I'm with you. It confused me a little bit. I mean, to be honest, and I think we even talked about this on the podcast last year, the Clint Capella move didn't make a ton of sense to me no. from the outside looking in because I think John Collins is better as a five. Um, but whatever, they went with him at the four and committed to that. But it feels like they're sort of backing out right now on the Capella thing and saying uh, that this is our guy, or maybe they don't think Capella's the long-term answer. It, I know they have a lot of young wings, Cam Reddish, DeAndre Hunter, Kevin Herter. It just felt to me like there were some really, really talented guys on the board. Um that were worth the risk, maybe a Denny Abja uh, type of guy. Um, it, it just felt to me like it wasn't the optimal pick. But again, yeah. maybe they felt like Okongwu is way better than I think. And and what was funny is, and we'll get into this in, in a little bit later, about the free agency, about how shooters were so, so highly paid and coveted during free agency. You see the top of the draft, LaMelo Ball needs to work on his shooting. Anthony Edwards, I think he's a better shooter. I think he just took really, really tough and bad shots because that's just what they needed him to do. Patrick Williams, you know, not a great shooter. As much as I like I'm sorry. Patrick Williams was the one who I meant was more of a surprise. Yes. Really. He was a surprise, you know. And you have Isaac Okora, who's not a great shooter. But those guys still got picked really, really high. And then Avdia fell because it felt like, hey, he's not a great shooter. Tyrese Halliburton, I think he fell because for two reasons. One, a lot of teams already have point guards. And two, he's got a funky shot. And I well, think. I'll tell you the other reason that he fell. Mm-hmm. Because I think a lot of teams were drafting more for, for need and sort of this potential idea. And because the Suns took Jalen Smith 10th overall. Who I liked at Maryland, but I didn't, you know. David, that's a completely illogical pick. It it didn't make a lot of sense to me. I thought Woj was kind of trolling people when he tweeted out that that pick was coming. It, I understand that they traded for Chris Paul and that they felt, great, we have the guard position settled. We need to go get another big guy maybe to come off the bench beside, behind Eaton. But... They're still so young and haven't really done anything yet that I still think they're the best player available. Unless they just, you know, are in love with Jalen Smith for whatever reason. That felt like to me either a Devin Vassell move, a Aaron Nesmith move to go get a three-point shooter, or Tyrese Halliburton. Because as proven, some some team would have wanted Tyrese Halliburton and maybe he could have flipped him. But... I think it's his funky shot. Even though it goes in, I think teams are scared off more so by a funky shot rather than a shot that goes in. Even though there's been plenty of guys in the NBA who have had funky-looking shots that have scored a lot of points. I it it, I, it I didn't make sense to me, but the the, the is, Kings fit is is okay. Yeah, I think the Kings fit absolutely is okay. I think he can play with the Aaron Fox, who just uh, re-upped with a, new, a big new contract. Yep. I think he can play the one when he he's um, when he's running with potentially the second unit. I I just the Suns thing just doesn't make sense to me, man. Like I, it just 
what's the best case for Jalen Smith? He plays 12 minutes a game behind DeAndre Ayton. Yeah, I mean, he a, he's a four. I don't think so. I'm with you. The look, there's a reason why the Suns pick very high, very frequently, and <laughs> and and it's because they do things like that now. You know, they made us all eat it last year when they took Cameron Johnson. And we were all like, Cameron Johnson in the lottery. You know, he was a good player at UNC, but at 23 years old. And then he had a very good rookie season. So, you know, maybe they know something we don't. And it's going to come out and Jalen Smith's going to be absolutely awesome. We're like, why didn't he go higher? Uh, but uh, Yes, but at the same time, and again, like, this is so easy to nitpick. Yeah. But you know who went two picks after Cam Johnson? Tell the people. I'll give you a clue. He was hitting shots for the uh, Miami Heat in the finals this year. Tyler Hero. Exactly. Yeah. Like, Yes. And and I'm, I don't mean to suggest like it's so easy, but. It, it, I think teams overthink because they, especially this year, they've had so much time that. They're different positions. I get it. But like. They, they just have so much time and they overthink things. But one of the teams that weirdly didn't overthink it is that basically since November, December, all the mock drafts had the Knicks taking Obi Toppin and that's who they take. They take Obi Toppin and I thought their whole draft was pretty smart. Now I'm saying this very reluctantly and with a lot of cautious optimism as a New Yorker, Toppin will be able to play and contribute this, this year. He won't be great on defense, but he'll be exciting. He'll score points. Then they made some moves to trade up and they turned, you know, the 28th pick into like the 25th pick. And like they did smart things to move up. I like that they got Emmanuel quickly because they just so desperately need a point guard. I thought he was pretty good at Kentucky. Hopefully he'll be playable in in the NBA. Uh, But they just need someone new to to drill that to, to take that position that can give a little bit of hope because it's been proven Dennis Smith Jr. is a below average point guard. Frankie Smokes, Nicolina is a below average point guard. You know, Alfred Payton's below average. It's The point guard position you know is really, been, really hard. You know who would have been an above average point guard for them? Try, I know you're going to say Tyrese Halliburton. <laughs> yes, I am. You're in my mind. And it's not an anti-Obi Toppin thing. I think yeah. Obi Toppin's good. I think Obi Toppin's really good. Um, I think Obi Toppin is an atrocious defender. I think that Obi Toppin's best position, and I hope I'm wrong on this. I really hope I'm wrong on this, David, but I think his best position's at the five, and I think they're going to end up having to pick between him and Mitchell Robinson, and and that stinks. And, like, I, I guess you could play him at the four and just hope that Mitch Robinson's there to clean up after him or just assume Mitchell Robinson's in enough foul trouble that yeah, exactly. Obi Toppin will play a lot of minutes anyway. It just... Maybe they felt like he was the best player in the draft and they got him at eight and they couldn't pass him up. That's fine. I understand it. I'm not panning the pick. I'm not killing the pick. I just think Tyrese Halliburton was the home run and um, Obi Toppin was a double. Okay. um, You know, I'm totally making this up, but I'm curious. I I thought they were going to be targeting potentially – um, Cole Anthony at 23, so I wonder yeah. if him going to a little earlier than expected to the Magic at 15 threw them off. Um, I, th- that's just, uh, uh, I wonder. Tyrese Maxey went at 21. Good pickup um, by Philly. 
Yeah, so so that's another guy. I, I wonder if the, if Emmanuel quickly was the guy that they were um, zeroed in on the whole time, or mm-hmm. if it was sort of a, a backup or, or, or third plan. But I'll say this. I went to work the next day. I was working some kids out at Basketball City, and Emmanuel quickly was there on Friday. So Love it. Um, Getting the work in. No rest. Immediately back in the gym. Um, you know, obviously, uh, I mean, John Calpari's never said a bad thing about any of his players, but he speaks really, really highly of him. And obviously, also, they would also, have could... taken him if they hadn't, if Kenny Payne didn't like him, right? True. The longtime Calipari assistant who's now a Thibodeau assistant. Also, can, can we just talk about for one second how Calipari gets like 10 minutes in his office talking about how great Kentucky is <laughs> and how great all his guys are? And then, like, Bruce Pearl's like doing a video chat from on the his, side of the road. It was amazing. From like his flip phone. It was like, what is going on here? <laughs> like, and also, like, of the two college coaches, like, we couldn't get, uh, you know, Tom Crean couldn't talk about Anthony Edwards and how he's the next Dwayne Wade or Victor or Oladipo. Like, he was unavailable. Like, come on, guys. Like, you, the, the, people don't understand. Calipari is a genius in terms of marketing his program and his players. Like, he really is. All these other coaches should be doing exactly what he is, which is going on TV during the draft. And what he's doing is that he's selling Kentucky to every high school player in the 2021 and the 2022 high school class. And basically, being like, if and you want to. And beyond, like, and if you want to play in the NBA, you come here. It's not going to be easy. It's not nothing going to be given to you. But look, you're going to be a first round draft pick. And it's it's like it's crazy how many picks they've they've had. But uh, you're, you're so right. But, but here's my last two things that mm-hmm. I just want to ask you about the Knicks. Yes. Um, and, and I know we're not a New York Knicks podcast, but uh, two guys that went in the second round, uh, Cassius Winston and Trey Jones, um, more proven in college than Emmanuel quickly um question one is would you have stuck with Emmanuel quickly or would you have tried to get one of the more veteran uh slightly proven but potentially lower upside point guards I'm not a fan of Trey Jones uh I think Cassius Winston would have been a decent pickup in the second round uh but I'm fine with quickly over over Jones especially Winston's more of a toss-up and I and I like just, you know, taking the the youth on quickly over Winston, even though Winston was a great college player. I, I just don't think a college guy like like sure. Trey Jones who couldn't shoot like you like UCF put Taco Fall on him and <laughs> dared him to shoot and he just like brick, brick, brick. Uh a couple teams and picks that that I really liked. Just gonna rattle them off. We mentioned Tyrese Maxey going to Philly. Really like that that pickup. Uh Precious Achua from Memphis, another New York City kid. I think he's from Queens. Yep. His brother played at St. John's. He goes to Miami Heat. My concern is that this is too good of a fit, and it makes too much sense that it's not going to work because just the way that he plays, everything about him screams Heat culture and just fitting in perfectly with this group of guys that they have down there right now. I think that was a very, very solid pickup. Uh I thought Dallas got better. Dallas got a lot of shooting. Yeah. Which I like I like Jordan Award of the Bucks. I think he's good a, pickup. a lead shooting wing. And, and 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 Sam Merrill from Utah State, yeah, who has insane numbers. So my last question is, um was 
what was the best value move of of this draft, and why was it the Knicks signing Miles Powell as an undrafted free agent? <laughs> we talked about this before the draft that I thought Miles Powell was. I thought he should have been picked, and I thought that he went to the right team in New York because New York's going to let him play, and they're going to let him shoot a lot because someone there's has a, to shoot. There's an awesome statistic that in his career, he's averaging something like 28 points per game at, at Madison Square Garden because <laughs> obviously the Big East plays their tournament there. Um, they play, you know, St. John's plays there quite a bit. So um, he's used to the baskets. He's used to the three-point line. Well, I guess it's a little deeper now in the right. NBA, but he's used to the court. He's used to the scenery. So uh, I, I really hope he, he, he makes it. For sure, and he could be really good. I agree, and and the two other value Dude, picks. Your, your guy from Gonzaga, come on! I know, come on. I know. He come was on. the two other value picks I'll mention are Nico Mannion, who was a top, I think he was a top ten, top fifteen recruit. Absolutely, hundred percent. I out of state of Arizona, goes to Arizona. He ends up with the Warriors. Now that. Thompson is out for the season with his torn Achilles, which is a huge, huge bummer. Oh my god, terrible! He'll have a chance to play, I think, because they're they'll need a chance to guard, and and he kind of fits that whole system of he played well in all the All Star games. I think he can pass. He's not a great shooter. He's not super big, but I think he just knows how to play. And we'll see what they do with him. And uh, the second one is Indiana getting Cassius Stanley at fifty four, who is a plus-plus athlete. Oh, freakish. I think it's just perfect in that situation of, hey, we're just going to take a swing on an awesome athlete. Who knows if he's actually great at basketball? We could we could figure it out. But they have tons of guards right now, especially if Oladipo comes back and plays. I expect Stanley to spend some time in the G League, getting some reps, figuring out how to really play. And then if he's good, he'll... I think he could contribute in a way we talked about uh, Derek Jones Jr. did for Miami. But if not, yeah. hey, it was I, I think that was just worth the pick and worth the risk as well. Makes sense to me. So moving on to free agency. It was a little slow at the beginning. There was a – there wasn't a ton – of action early on, mainly because the most marquee free agent was Gordon Hayward this year, considering Anthony Davis, by all accounts, was going to re-sign with the Los Angeles Lakers. It was a little slow at the beginning, but then things really, really started to pick up, and two teams really stood out to me. It was one of the themes of this whole previous season, the battle of Los Angeles between the Lakers and the Clippers, and they both made really, really interesting moves. The Lakers signed Montrez Harrell away from the Clippers for two years, $19 million. They signed Marcus Saul to a two-year, just over five, maybe close to $6 million deal. They re-signed Contavious Caldwell-Pope. They obviously lose Danny Green to trade. They lose Rondo. They lose Dwight Howard, and they trade JaVale McGee. But bringing in Montrez Harrell makes them better and makes the Clippers worse. I really, really like that move, especially I- at that price. Yeah, I, obviously, I think it's a really good value. Here, here's my question, David, and, mm-hmm. and I just can't get around the fact that Anthony Davis's best position is the five. 
is the five. Montrez Harrell's best position, the five. Marc Gasol's only position, the five. Mm-hmm. So I really, I think it's a huge, I think these are both really valuable, solid, affordable moves um, that will make a huge impact in the regular season. Mm-hmm. I'm not certain that they raise the ceiling for this team. And I guess they just won the NBA championship. So this, in the words of Michael Jordan, the, the ceiling, ceiling is roof. Is... <laughs> but but uh, I, I guess what I'm saying is it, it sort of feels like this makes them better for 82 games, uh, or I guess 72 games next year. Um, but I'm not sure it makes them more dangerous in the playoffs. Unless... Unless you're telling me that Anthony Davis is going to be significantly healthier uh, and fresher going into the playoffs, then I can see the value. But it, it just feels a little weird to me. Um, th- that's all. That's all. So I get what you're saying. My counter argument would be they're already talking about what LeBron is going to do to pace himself during the season, which is such a short off season and, and turnaround time. True. And I'm sure Davis is going to, because he does whatever LeBron does, he may do the <laughs> same thing. Or, or they may try to pace him as well. The one thing you don't have to worry about Montrez Harrell is playing hard. He may not always play well, but he's going to play really, really hard. And as they proved, no one thought that playing Davis and Dwight or Davis and JaVale at the same time with LeBron and Danny Green and, and no real point guards and KCP was going to work. I think you can play Anthony Davis and Gasol at the same time or Anthony Davis and Montrez Harrell at the same time because Anthony Davis is such a freak talent, on, especially on the defensive end. He covers up so many mistakes that I think it will work, and they're just humongous. They are huge, and what they're forcing teams in the West to do is match up with their size, and the way that the Warriors would control the West because they said, hey, you have to guard us at our best with our five basically interchangeable guys. The Lakers are now saying, you have to match up with us. And Davis and LeBron and Harrell and Gasol, like, they're going to punish teams. And I think it'll be really interesting to see. I think Gasol will be better than he was last year with Toronto. Our lasting memory of just him missing so many three-pointers against the Boston Celtics that <laughs> – I think he's better than that. Look, everyone's had bad shooting series before, and he really just – it felt like he missed every shot. Uh, but but I, I, I think Gasol is really good. And yeah. Obviously, he can shoot, and he's a terrific passer. I, I'm just saying it, you're probably right. I just don't know ultimately if the Lakers are going to play that big in the games that matter most. Interesting, interesting. Well, we, we'll see – because if, if, if I'm the Lakers, I'm looking at who do I have to get through to get back to the finals? One, I'm looking at, uh, you know, not, not not first and foremost, but just of the teams. I think Portland's there with Nurkic and Zach Collins. It's sure. good to have a lot of bigs there. I'm looking at Denver and Utah with Jokic and Gobert. And, you know, if Phoenix is going to be an actual threat, you have Aiden. Dallas, if Porzingis is healthy, and you have to deal with him. Jalen Smith, top 10 yes. <laughs> Don't be disrespectful. And they also did the classic Yankee Red Sox thing, which is you sign away the best free agent from the other team. 
Like, yeah, yeah. So now Montrez Harrell is not going to beat up on Anthony Davis and anymore, which I think is a big deal. And they bring back KCP on the Clutch Sports Special for three years, forty million dollars. <laughs> which, look, I'm one of the biggest non-believers in KCP, but he proved me wrong in the playoffs so many times, and especially in the finals where he played really, really well. And as much crap as we love to give KCP for being like the first clutch guy and like getting paid early, so for LeBron and everything, he showed up and he can really, really guard. Like, yeah, like yeah. the Lakers' shooting wings, yeah, are, are super valuable. The Lakers didn't lose any defense this offseason. Now you could say they lost a little rim protection by losing Howard and McGee, but Howard, McGee, Rondo, they lose some of the. You know more yes. questionable personalities, as along with uh, along with Dion Waiters and, and J.R. Smith, those guys aren't brought back, and they bring in Dennis Schroeder, who was potentially going to win the Sixth Man of the Year award this who year. Replaces Danny Green because I, I do think mm-hmm. having that you know shooter really matters, and, and and I think you need another guy with Caldwell Pope, in my opinion. I agree. Losing Green. The veteran who's been there made so many threes in the playoffs before. They're be- I think they're betting on KCP getting a little better. They're betting on Kuzma, for whatever reason, taking a step forward. Uh, and I think that they're also betting that someone's going to be available at the deadline for them to to go out and get. I thought yeah, it, you're, I, you're probably right. I thought it was going to be a Kelly Oubre type, but he already went to the Warriors. So we'll see who's available. Flipping over to the other end of the Staples Center, unless you have any more thoughts on the Lakers, I thought that they got better, which is kind of crazy to think about. Team wins the championship and gets better. Yeah, I I, I think maybe on paper, I'm just not 100% certain um, they make exact sense, if that okay. makes sense. Like, like I, I think their talent is upgraded. I just worry about um, a little bit too much of a log jam at at the five spot and then a little bit of a log jam at the ball handler spot when LeBron can clearly do that and you should just put big wings around him. Interesting. Well, the good news is that the team didn't having make... Having said that, having said that, if there's any team who can figure it out... It's the team with LeBron. It, it, well, I would say it's the team with Greg St. Jean. <laughs> um, yes, it is. It, it's, it, you know... Wesley and legend Greg St. Jean uh, and LeBron, I think those guys will figure it out. Well, the good news for them is that their team didn't make any sense on paper for them last year, and they still won the title. So moving also over. True. So moving, moving over to the Clippers, maybe the overpay of the offseason and bringing back Marcus Morris on four years, $64 million, and they sign Ibaka, which is one of the best deals, two years, $19 million. They trade for Luke Kennard from Detroit for another shooter. I don't know how much better the Clippers got, but I really like the Abaka addition down low to replace Harrell. I think that's a potentially an upgrade because I think Abaka gives you a little more in the playoffs. Maybe not for the 72 to get there, just at his age, but I think right. he could really help in the playoffs. Kennard's a nice player. If you know, I'm I don't know enough about him or Landry Shamet to really know who replaces who and who's better than who. I think that they're both very similar players. I really like Landry Shamet. I, 
I, I like Landry Shamit too. I think he's going to be really good in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. I think Kennard's an upgrade. Um, he's a little bit more dynamic with the gotcha. ball. A little bit gotcha. more um, capable as a secondary pick and roll ball handler. I think he did that stuff pretty nicely mm-hmm. in, in Detroit. And uh, Detroit just wasn't very good. Right. Uh, I think he got and, hurt. And obviously, Kennard can really shoot it. Um, but he, he's a little bit more dynamic off the bounce, and I think that's just a really good fit um, for this Clippers team, who who I think um, maybe needed a little bit more playmaking from, from the one and two mm-hmm. spots. Um, for sure. Take some of it off Kawhi and PG. And um, and Lou Williams but, but, for, the, for the Knights, he doesn't have it going. Right, yes, 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 exactly. So... Um, I like the Kennard move. I think that's an upgrade. Um, I think Serge Ibaka in the playoffs is an upgrade. Uh, like you mentioned, Marcus Morris, certainly an overpay. Um, but just to for the sake of argument, um, I actually don't think he was the biggest overpay. I think Charlotte gets that award. Yes, I, Charlotte does, but for the for the player. Marcus Morris getting four year sixty four is just incredible work by him and his agent. <laughs> and for any NBA player out there who wants to get paid a lot, go to a really bad team like he did with the Knicks, put up big numbers, average 18, 19 points a game, make 39 forty percent of your threes, get traded, and then you'll you'll get paid big time. Like go the Marcus simple, Morris route. Simple recipe, right? No, but look, I, I just think guys like Marcus Morris who are tough and, and veterans and can, you know, I think they're probably well liked in the locker room guys mm-hmm. like him. And, and, and ultimately he can really shoot it and he's tough enough and athletic enough to play the four in the playoffs. I, I think it's a little bit of an overpay, but I understand why they felt the need to bring him back. If there wasn't a like for like replacement on deck. And I also think that the, an underrated aspect of the Ibaka acquisition is by all accounts in The Athletic and other great journals out there, was that Harrell was not always on board with the load management treatment of Kawhi. He was sometimes frustrated about just the way that it was all handled. That's from The Athletic and and all the reporting. Ibaka won a championship with Kawhi and Kawhi's style of managing the regular season and his minutes and, and his number of games that... Maybe having a Baca just in in the locker room will just be a calming and a good influence on. Hey, look, this is what this guy does. You know, I don't think we all really understand exactly what's going on with Kawhi. I do think that whatever he has is significant enough to miss all these games. I do think he is some level of injured. I don't know if it's just like some degenerative like arthritis type thing that just gets worse over time. They're really just trying to manage it, or if he's just like. Look, I just figured it out. I'm at my best when I play this many games, this many minutes, and then we just go full blast for the playoffs. I just think having Obaka be like, look, we did this, we got through it, we can play without him on on the nights where he's not in, because that's what people don't remember is that Toronto was really good without Kawhi that season that that they won the championship. Yes, and I think Obaka will just be like, look, we I won a championship with him doing this. It will work out. We just have to take care of our business, and Kawhi is going to join us. When he's healthy and in the playoffs, he's going to show up for us. I think that the big thing for them is they're still putting a lot, a lot of stock in Paul George going to show up when it counts. 
Yeah, 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 and that's a little scary. Um, yeah. But, you know, but I think the Ibaka thing also gives them a little bit more um, flexibility. Ultimately, their best lineup is with him at the five and then uh, Kawhi and Paul George at the three and four, however you want to play it. But I think that as they manage uh, the load, you know, the, the minutes and the load management like you talked about, I do think that there's a really um, – you know, it's an interesting chance. Like they traded for Daniel Oturu from Minnesota. Mm-hmm. You know, they have Justin Patton, who was a really high draft, a lottery pick out of Creighton. Obviously, Ivaka Zubak. Like, I think that they want to give those guys minutes in the regular season at the five. I think so too. Um, Zubak is good. Play the four a little bit, and and then he can very easily um, slide over to the five. When, when you're going full steam ahead. I mean, and when you think about some of the bigger lineups that they could play, um, you know, they could obviously go small with Marcus Morris at the four and Ibaka at the five, but you could play, you know, uh, smaller lineups, um, excuse me, bigger lineups rather with Ibaka at the four and then, you know, some combination of like Kawhi or PG at the two and the three and then even maybe Luke Kennard as the, yeah. uh, you know, He's not a point guard, but, you know, if he plays sort of the de facto one and Kawhi's really handling the ball more, there's just some interesting lineups that they can play with. They have a lot of flexibility there, I think. Um, So I I don't know if they're markedly better, but I I do think the Clippers are a little bit better off gunning for the title this year. And they have a new coach, Ty Lue. And I think what, what we have seen is, not having a ton of roster turnover for a guy's first year coaching a team can can be helpful early on getting off Absolutely. to a good start. Uh, so maybe that the fact that they didn't blow up this team and trade for James Harden or do any of the other crazy stuff that people were <laughs> suggesting could, could actually be a good thing for them. Flipping over to the Eastern Conference, the best team in the East in the regular season was the Milwaukee Bucks. People forget that, that they were on pace potentially to win 70 games last year. Last year, I know everyone's poking fun at them because they lost in epic fashion to the Miami Heat in the playoffs. But they got better in the first week. So Way better, way better. So you could argue, and we're going to argue about this, how much better they got in the long, long term. But they the trade we talked about last week about them getting Drew Holiday from the Pelicans has now turned in somehow magically to a four-team trade between them, Oklahoma City, New Orleans and the Denver Nuggets. So just a quick recap, the the Bucks get Drew Holiday, which we talked about. They also got the 60th pick in this past year's draft, which was Sam Merrill, who at Utah State, he scored over 2000 points and is a career 42% three-point shooter. Who he could be good. They need shooting. That could be helpful. He's interesting. He is very interesting. And the Pelicans got Steven Adams, who they just also re-signed to a two-year deal today. Eric Bledsoe, 2025 and 2027, unprotected first from Milwaukee, and the, and the right to swap picks with Milwaukee, with Milwaukee in 2024 and 2026. The Thunder get George Hill, who I don't think will be on the team very long. Josh Gray, Kenrich Williams, Zylan Chedham, Darius Miller, a 2023 protected first from Denver, and I think two more seconds from Denver. So they're just going full-on tank. We talked about it last week. If they could trade Steven Adams, they would. They did. Half those guys on that list I'd never heard of. And the du- and, 
and and the Nuggets get the rights to RJ Hampton, which is just a classic recent Denver Nuggets move, which is a really high potential player who just slipped in the draft. Great athlete. He could yeah. be he could be pretty good for them. But just let's focus on the Bucks first and we could go through those those four teams. The Bucks lose Bogdan Bogdanovich. That trade falls through as I guess Bogdanovich never signed on to it. Something weird happened. And there was some allegations of tampering. So there's some investigation going on. So, I think that hurts. I think Bogdanovich is really, really good. Um, not having him hurts um, a lot. But I, I really like the free agency moves. Bryn Forbes started, you know, I think like, you know, uh, 80% of the games last year for the Spurs. Tory Craig was a starter for Love that move. For the, for the Nuggets, like I think those guys are really good. DJ Augustine is one of the best three-point shooters. Um, I, I saw some stat like among lower-volume three-point shooters, he was like the best or second best in the league. I think he's a really good um, backup guard. Um, Bobby Portis is an interesting one, especially if you're looking for um, you know maybe some toughness up front. Um, I, I don't even mean that as a joke about having punched Nikola Meritich in the face. Um, also a former Buck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, but can, can I just – and look, I'm not a GM, so yeah. this is a bizarre question, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Um, the Milwaukee Bucks gave up a lot for Drew Holiday, and, and I think Drew Holiday is really, really good. Um would the Bucks have been better off trying to get Chris Paul? I think that's a really fair question. I think I think it's all about which assets you deem worthy of keeping, right? So to them, the what they would have had to trade to get Chris Paul wouldn't have been would have obviously been not as much as Drew Holiday, right? Right. But are they did they do some backroom maneuvering with Holiday's agent saying we're going to sign into a long-term deal. So they're giving all this up, not for one season of Drew Holiday, but for five seasons of Drew Holiday. Because you can get five seasons of Drew Holiday. You're not going to get five more seasons of Chris Paul. And But isn't Drew Holiday 29? I, I, I think he's around that age. But I think that the big question mark with Chris Paul was – He's 30. He just turned 30 in June. Yeah. I mean, Drew, Drew Holiday is less than a month younger than me. That's so depressing. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I'm a fan of Chris Paul. I think he's really, really good. But look, he, you know, he, he would have cost a lot of money, obviously, his contract. But I think people have this apprehension to trade for him or sign for him because of just what's happened in the postseason with him. And a lot of it hasn't been his fault. You know, with the Clippers, you run into the Warriors, or they just collapse because that team just wasn't built right. He gets that crazy, terribly timed, bad luck hamstring injury with, with the Rockets. And oh, gosh, yeah. With, with, they would have made the finals and probably beaten that Cavaliers team. So we, we talked about NBA champion Chris Paul. But I think Milwaukee said, look, do we want one year of Chris Paul where – we know he's going to get hurt at some point in the season. We just don't know when. And he's basically just a one-year thing. Because I think to, to 
they did all this to try to show Giannis we're all in for winning, not just now, but in the long term. Absolutely. I think Holiday presents more of a long-term chance of winning rather than Chris Paul, which is really one or two years you can really count on as him being a really, really productive guard. Now Chris Paul can keep proving everyone wrong and be awesome for three or four more years. But just given his age and how much he's played, this is probably his last year of being truly awesome. And and I think that they just said, look, Holiday, Holiday just gives us a little bit better chance to win not just this year, but but in the future as well. Fair point, and, and and Holiday's a better defender. He's a much better defender, but I, I I just don't think it's. I don't know. I just it's it was an interesting thought that I was curious about. It's definitely really interesting because they gave up so many picks so far down the line that it makes me think that they already either a know that Giannis is going to resign or know that Holiday is going to resign because. Now that they've traded those picks and those swaps to New Orleans, they can't trade those for other assets and other players. Now at the trade deadline or next offseason, their their opportunities to get better have now closed. Now they re-signed Pat Connaughton, who you could talk me into having trade potential if he shoots better this this season. They kept Dante DiVincenzo and DJ Wilson in the failed trade for Bogdanovich, who are their biggest trade assets as their best young players. Right, right. So maybe DiVincenzo is worth, you know, a 3 and D guy at the deadline or next offseason, or he just gets way better. You know, they can bet on themselves, but I think that their moves, I really like the Torrey Craig move. I thought he was one of my favorite players to watch in Denver on their run, just because, like, he's just always around the ball. He was just always just doing stuff. Yeah, yeah. He's just, he's, I like Torrey Craig, too. And... He, he, good and dj augustine is the guy who i wanted the knicks to sign to be their transition point guard just because he's an adult he's a grown-up who just knows how to play (laughs) basketball right he's gonna bother me the same way george hill bothered me of just being a very good but low volume three-point shooter and but i don't know i i kind of like dj augustine with drew holiday and more so than i like the combination of george hill and eric bledsoe at, at the guard position, but look, this is all going to come down to how much better is Giannis? How much did he? How much better did he get this off season? And what he really thinks of it? Because I really like all these moves, but so much of it is is Coach Bud going to play Giannis and Chris Middleton thirty seven to forty minutes a night in big playoff games, which we haven't seen yet? And are they going to adjust? Are they just going to play their style of play and say? This is just how we play, and and you know it'll be interesting. But I, you know, I like the moves. There's now we just have to play the games, right? Well, yeah, that's the problem, right? <laughs> exactly. You have to, don't get decided yeah. in the off season. But you know, I like them. New Orleans, I think, is really interesting in this trade because they get Bledsoe, who is fine. He's an average NBA point guard. They get Stephen Adams, who's a really good big guy. And now they don't have to play Jackson Hayes as much. They can now play Steven Adams, which is an interesting combo with Zion and their other young guys is because Adams is just an adult and one of just the best teammates in the NBA. Like, everyone loves him. I think that would be really interesting having a guy like that. He also just makes you tougher. Yeah. And, And so does Bledsoe, I think. 
But they're doing something really interesting with that. They're adding all these super long-term assets. So they have these Laker picks in the future. They have now these Bucks picks in the future. We don't know what the Lakers or the Bucks are going to look like. They may be awesome still, and those picks are in the late 20s and not worth as much. Or they, or they could stink, and those picks are in, are in the lottery, even the, the high lottery. But they're doing a really interesting thing of adding players right now who could help their young nucleus get better and compete in the short term while also having these assets in the long term that they can either keep for themselves and use in the draft, which is, you know, a lot of teams do that. Or if they say, look, Zion, Brandon Ingram, these dudes are incredible and we have a chance to win a title in the next three years. Now they have tons of draft picks where they can just be like, hey, you know, hey, Minnesota, how are you feeling about Carl Towns? Hey, Washington, Bradley Beal, we have all these extra first-round picks so far down the line. Hey, take the chance the Bucks in 2027, unprotected. Giannis is gone. He signs, he re-signs, but he's gone now. Like, right. that's going to be a top-five pick. Hey, th- for Bradley Beal, you know, who who knows what it's going to worth be worth, but I think that's a really interesting thing to watch going forward is what do the Pelicans do now with all these moves? Can they compete this year? Is Lonzo going to be regular season Lonzo or bubble Lonzo is Zion going to be in shape? How's he looking? And now they just have these picks. Like, I don't know. I, it's, it's going to be really interesting. I think Steven Adams is a really good fit next to Zion. Yeah. Um, again, like I think they have some flexibility too with, um, with Brandon Ingram resigning now. Um, I, I, I like the moves they're making and just to echo what you said, they maintained a lot of future flexibility while also still competing at a somewhat high level. Can we talk about Oklahoma City for 30 seconds? Yeah, of course. What what intrigues you about them? Because uh, before you, you said, you know, they're full-on tank. So what what is it that intrigues you? Like, what separates them from, you know, I, I mean, it's not a fair comparison to compare anyone to the Sixers of a couple years ago, but, like, what what is it about them? That's what interests me about it, is that Sam Presti's doing this. We could just call it the process 2.0 because they have so many first-round picks. And the interesting part is, for the guys on his team, who's going to put up good enough stats that he can convince some other team to give him a top-20 protected first-round pick? Like He's going to get more first-round picks. I I just want everyone to understand that. He's going to get more first-round picks out of this current roster. For sure. I I think... The, the only thing that we're forgetting about that I don't know if we're forgetting about, but like they do have a guy who I consider to be likely an all-star within yeah. the next Shea's two, awesome. three years in Shea Gilgis-Alexander. So that does in a lot of ways sort of keep them from full-on tanking in a way. That's definitely true. But they also just have all these picks and not a lot around Shea that – It'll just be interesting. Yes, they have Shea, who's really, really, really good. And they have these picks. Who knows? They could do sneaky good Sam Presti stuff and get a player to play along with Shea, and all of a sudden they're back in playoff contention. I think it'll just be interesting to, if they are really bad this year and bad again next year. The narrative turned very quickly around in Philly of, hey, this is great. We're tanking. We're going the picks. We're doing it this way to... Like, the league was like, this is not okay. Like, you guys can't be doing this so brazenly. So, 
I'm interested to see what the league thinks about this of, will they just send out a memo like, guys, you can't send any more first-round picks to Oklahoma City. This is absurd. Like, we're going to do the draft <laughs> lottery in 2024, and Sam Presti is going to have himself and all his kids up there representing all his different picks. Like, and his dog. Like, it's going to be insane. Yeah, it, it, you know, it, it is. I think a lot just depends on the jump Gilgis Alexander makes. If Lou Dort is for real, um, obviously people won't be talking so negatively. Um, you know what? But at the end of the day, like, it doesn't matter what the league says. If you feel like you need George Hill at the trade deadline to, to make a push, then you know what you're going to do? You're going to send what you need to send. LeBron likes them. He could have on the Lakers for another first-round pick. Who knows? But can we talk about Denver now? Denver, people forget, made the Western Conference Finals, beat the Clippers, beat the Jazz. Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray were just absurdly good in the bubble, just incredible. Murray took the leap. Jokic reminded people that, like, yes, you can be a big guy in the league, and he's incredible. They add R.J. Hampton. They re-sign Paul Millsap, but they lose three of their best defenders. They lose Torrey Craig, they lose Jeremy Grant, and they lose Mason Plumley. I'm concerned about them because they're putting a lot of stock in Michael Porter Jr. and R.J. Hampton being able to help them defensively this year. Yeah, and, I think they're going to have to outscore teams. Uh, yeah. Not to state the obvious here, but... And, and for everyone who forgot what the bubble was like. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. was just as bad on defense as people are saying LaMelo Ball was in Australia. Like, just... <laughs> but, but, but just, like, really disinterested. And just and got picked on. And he also came out and made a couple comments about how the ball needs to be spread around. That was more. hysterical. You know, it's just... Uh, Jamal Murray's averaging 38 points a game. Yeah. Jokic is averaging 30 and 18. He's like, I need the ball more, guys. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm curious. You know, I, I actually like P.J. Dozer. I think he's a good player. Yeah, South um, Carolina guy. I, I think he's a really good player. Like, they have decent depth, right? Like... Gary Harris, Will Barton, Monty Morris, if I'm not mistaken, are all still on that yep. roster. I'm worried about the front court. I'm worried about the front court because there's not a ton of depth there. I think they need more, you know, Jeremy Grant, Tory Craig type guys. Like they just very much fit yeah. um what they're trying to do. So I'm worried about that. But also if I'm not mistaken, I think they brought in Marcus Howard from Marquette. Mm -hmm. So part of me wonders if they're really just saying defense. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> or 150 points a game. And look with Jokic and these shooters around them. Cause look, Jeremy Grant, he's a guy who liked to shoot, but he was inconsistent. He, he was about average. Torrey Craig was about average, but you know, Will, Will Barton people forget. Cause I think he was hurt in the bubble and, yeah, he was hurt in the bubble. He didn't play. He's a very good offensive player. Monty Morris is a good offensive player. Could shoot. And RJ Hampton, his whole life has been a very good shooter. He or not not shooter, offensive player. He reclassified a year up to go to Australia a year early to become draft eligible. Jamal Murray, if he takes the leap and Jokic is still that, like put shooters around Jokic 
You can't double him because dude's just going to knock down threes on you all day. And Jokic is impossible one-on-one when he's engaged. And yeah, I, I agree. it's going to be interesting. It's going to be really interesting. Staying in the Western Conference now, any teams that we haven't mentioned who you want to highlight for having a good, bad, interesting, weird offseason so far? Um, huh, let's see. Western Conference? Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I think we talked about a lot of the ones that really interest me. I'm curious to see how all these moves work for the Timberwolves. Yeah. Uh, it feels very, I know I keep saying boom or bust, but it feels like the, the, the mixture of um, Towns and D'Angelo Russell and Anthony Edwards has the potential to either be, um, you know, like can't miss NBA league pass or... Mm-hmm can't miss NBA league pass for really bad reasons. <laughs> uh, I'm interested in Dallas. Okay. Because they made the playoffs last year. Luka Doncic is incredible. He's my MVP uh, leader who I'm going to pick to win MVP this year. He's incredible. Porzingis obviously coming back from a knee injury. They just have so much shooting on their team. Even though they lose Seth Curry, they bring in Terrell Terry from Stanford who all the NBA draft nerds really liked. And he's a little more, what they say, ball handling creativity than Seth Curry, even though Seth Curry is just an unbelievable shooter and has been for a long time. Then they bring in Josh Green, who I really liked. He was another one of these top high school players, goes to Arizona. Arizona had this weird down year. He's not a great shooter, but he's a big physical athlete. He can help them guard on the wings. I like what Dallas did in the draft. Uh, And I just... All this crazy shooting around Luka Doncic is just, they set records for the best NBA offense ever last year. Like, I think they have a chance to to keep doing that. Like, Trey Burke was getting buckets in the playoffs and in the bubble for them because the floor is so spaced. And they re-signed him. Like, I don't know. I think Dallas is going to be one of those league pass teams who maybe the eighth seed, but like a really, really fun team because Luka Doncic and Porzingis and all these other guys Tim Hardaway Jr. firing up 11 threes a game. It's just it's just incredible to watch if you like three-pointers. Now, if you don't like three-pointers, you're going to never want to watch them. <laughs> they, they actually are. I, I like Dallas. They are fun to watch. I just I still have some questions about Porzingis' health. I still have, obviously, some regret as a Knicks fan about them trading him. So bad. Um, so bad. <laughs> but um, I, I just don't – I don't know if Dallas made – a jump if that makes sense like I think Luka is one of the best handful of players in the NBA I just don't know if if Dallas has a third guy that sort of jolts them into the conversation that's fair the LA teams and 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 so for me they're sort of exactly where they were which is very good but just not quite good enough that's fair i think josh richardson will help them they definitely got better around the edges they didn't make any they didn't make any big moves obviously it all comes down to Porzingis's health because if he's healthy and he's firing up those 31 footers in transition and knocking them down like he was doing in the bubble and when he was healthy against the clippers in that series this team is insane because you have to guard everyone 30 feet from the basket and yeah, that's that. That is really. <laughs> and 
that, that's the key, though. And if and with just the way Doncic can somehow, for someone who's not really that fast, not really that quick, but insanely strong and just has a really good first step and just actually he's just he's just so good. But like someone who's not gonna blow by you in the fashion Russell Westbrook is, but still somehow ends up in the middle of the paint so much, like you can't leave anybody. I just want to see them play Boban and Porzingis together so we can oh. have a seven four, seven three front court. Look, I was all in on them just after they picked Josh Green, who's from Australia in the first round, just going all in on just uh Fielding All a full lineup. international lineup, like signed it, signed Gallinari for you know you got the Italian guy, you got Doncic, play like Maxi Kleber, exactly, <laughs> who who I like. He guarded Kawhi as well as anyone you know could have hoped He's him good. to guard, and and you know he was trying really hard because he lost all his energy to make a basket on, on the other <laughs> end of the floor. Uh, Portland, I think. No one's talking enough about them. They had a very good offseason. I mentioned that at the top. Nurkic is healthy. Collins, Lillard, McCollum. Bring back Ron Anthony, Rodney Hood. Uh, I thought Garrett Trent played really well in the bubble. Yes. They made another move. I can't remember what it was, but they are... They something to get, like, Mario Hazonia or move away from Mario Hazonia. Yeah. I don't even... they, oh, yeah, they, they bring back uh, Cantor who was a very good player for them, who could help them in spurts in the regular season, who I like. I think he gives them uh, some toughness. Did, didn't they also bring in Covington? Yes. Yes. That's, yes, exactly. It was Robert Covington, Sam uh, Sam Hinkie's favorite player. And <laughs> and they got off Hassan Whiteside and Mario Hazonia, who were their two most frustrating worst players. Like, that's a good offseason. And, and they brought in Derek Jones. Yep. And they'll be healthier than they were last year, which is, you know, they can't be any more hurt than they were last year. So that's I, true. So the Western Conference is loaded. Flipping over to the East, I think Miami got better because they also, when they re signed Drogic, I don't know why Myers Leonard re signed there. Miami, you know, I get it, is really, really nice to live, but you got, you were basically turned into an assistant coach in the playoffs. That was weird. Don't know why he resigned there, but yeah, Bam Bam just signed a new extension today. Yeah, Bam got got paid. Drogic got paid a lot in his deal, but him, but Drogic and Leonard are team options, so they could maintain cap space for next summer. Who everyone knows that they're going after either Paul George or Giannis. They they sign Avery Bradley, who I thought was a good smart acquisition. Uh. They lose Jay Crowder, who loves to shoot, but they bring in Mo Harkless, who also loves to shoot. And I think that, look, Jay Crowder basically decided not to miss in the bubble as, as a whole. Don't know if Mo Harkless will be able to do that, but they still have a lot of shooting around them. The, the Jay Crowder loss, they were able to replace, I thought, pretty well. In Harkless and Bradley, they still have Duncan Robinson. They still have Tyler Hero, uh, Kelly Olenek. They still have guys who can fire them up. They're going to be really, really good again. Uh, the question is just, obviously, are they going to be quite as good? Are they finals yeah. good? And Jimmy and Butler in year close. two. Yeah, yeah. I mean, is Coming off a short offseason. You know, can Kendrick Nunn be as good? And, as, you know, I, I, right. they're good. They're really good. Um, 
and I think it was smart not to do anything crazy. What do you think of Brooklyn? I think I'm still waiting to find out what happens to James Harden. Yeah. Um, because in a lot of ways, that fascinates me. I think Brooklyn's really good um, with or without James Harden, obviously. Um, you know, it helps when you have one of the best players um, in the world, in the entire world, <laughs> on your team. And, you know, obviously, I mean, uh, Kevin Durant, not you know, Spencer Dinwiddie. Um, but, but jokes aside, I think their depth is still really good. Um, bringing Landry Shamit helps. I like uh, that pickup. Bruce, Bruce Brown, I thought was a really smart acquisition. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought he did a good job with the Pistons. Agreed. Um, and, and he'll just be a really solid guy who's willing to guard, um, when guys like, uh, Kyrie are probably not super willing to guard. Um, they still you know, have a I, really wide range of potential outcomes for them this year. They have a high yeah. ceiling in championship. They also have really low floor in this could all go really, really poorly. First year head coach Steve Nash, <laughs> the Kyrie Katie dilemma of two interesting personalities meshing together, uh, how they're going to take coaching, how they're going to play together. Cause and also just how how Durant's going to look coming off a major, major injury. Because, look, the odds are against him. Even though he's a tremendous player, tremendous shooter, if he's not 100% Kevin Durant yet, which naturally could potentially happen, it was a crazy injury, he hasn't played for a while, he's 85% Durant, that's, that's a big minus. And it all comes down to Kyrie Irving. And I'm not well, the right. biggest Kyrie the fan, but... All year last year was just sort of kick the can down the road until exactly. they really go for it this year. And I mean, they're doing it. They just paid a lot of money to bring back Joe Harris. You know, they brought in they they had the chance to draft Sadiq Bay and traded him for Landry Shamit. Yeah, like in Bruce Brown before. You know, they're going for it, and I got to give them credit because it's one hundred percent very different type of going for it than the Nets did with. KG and Paul Pierce, you know, yes. this feels very, very much more strategic and, um, I'm excited to be close to it, you know, and follow it. Yeah. It will definitely be fun to have in, in Brooklyn, a really good Nets team. Cause there have been really fun Nets teams, but this is the first Nets team since that first, since that year where they traded for Pierce Garnett to go with Joe Johnson and Deron Williams, where really high expectations, really, really yeah. high expectations. Absolutely. So we will see. I think Toronto is a really interesting one. They lose their two big guys, but they re-signed Chris Boucher, who actually liked in small minutes. Yeah, uh, he was okay, right? He fired up threes. I, I just love that he would come in at these end of these games, either whether they're up big or down big. He was like, look, I'm going to try to block every shot. I'm going to foul the crap out of some dude trying to block a shot, but I'm going to get the next one, and he's going to fire up a three, and, and it was did. great. <laughs> And they brought in Aaron Baines, if I'm yep. not mistaken, who Who's... I think is just a really good minutes eater. Yep. I mean, I, I just remember how, how valuable he was for uh, the Celtics. Yes, he was very good for them. He was good in Phoenix. He's a good pickup to help replace Marcus Gasol. And they re-signed Fred Van Vliet, who was just one of the best stories in the NBA, from three-star yeah. recruit to All-American, undrafted, to barely playable in the playoffs in 2019. And then becomes awesome like overnight he has a, his he, he has his child 
dad, Fred, Fred Van Vliet, emerges. He starts knocking down every shot, hitting big shots in the finals. NBA champion, starter this this past year. Now gets paid four years, $85 million. That was awesome. Quick thoughts now as we talked about the teams that had good off seasons. There's two teams, or three teams, that we're going to highlight in the East who had, let's just say, not optimal off seasons. Let's start with the Charlotte Hornets to, to wrap to to wrap up the free agency discussion. They signed Gordon Hayward to a four-year, $120 million deal, I guess forgetting how many injuries he had the last three years. That's a lot of money for him. He's an all-star caliber player, really good. I really like Gordon Hayward, and maybe it was just his time in Boston was just cursed and he just needed to get out of there. But this is a crazy amount of money for someone who was as injury-prone. But if you're Charlotte, you have to overpay to get free agents. Like, Yeah, you do. And um, I actually think Charlotte's interesting um he fits in 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 a way positionally um yeah he does they didn't mess with that front court because i really like pj washington and miles bridges i think they're really fun Um, agreed and i I think hayward can play with them and then obviously when you talk about the backcourt you're talking about guys like Devontae graham and now Lamelo ball yep so I like the positional fit of Gordon Hayward. I just think it's such a huge overpay. Um, it is, but with the, with the injury history. Um, I, but you know what? If he can be a mentor to Malik Monk and help him come along, great. And look, like the East is bad. They're going to be competing with Orlando for the eighth seed. Like, I don't know if Hayward is good and healthy, and Lamelo is better than people think in year one and Terry Rogier and Devontae Graham are still very good. This is a team that could be challenging for the eighth seed in a in a weak Eastern Conference to get blown out by Milwaukee in round <laughs> one in round one, right? You like you know, so Absolutely. But as they proved last year to get a free agent, they over they way overpaid Terry Rogier, but they had to overpay Hayward. Like, look, they're a small market team rebuilding, trying to be good. They're gonna have to overpay. Like all the criticism People clearly just don't watch enough NBA basketball or understand how this works. Like, free agents don't go to Charlotte. Like, that's how you get them to Charlotte is you have to overpay them. It may not be the best team-building decision, but, like, you're just being unrealistic if you thought, like, right. Gordon Hayward's going to go to Charlotte on a two-year, $51 million contract. Like, come on. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Atlanta made no sense to me. Yeah, and we talked about that with, with the draft as well. Yeah. Uh, they really they paid big for Danilo Gallinari, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, uh, three years, sixty one and a half million dollars, and according to Woj, this is the most money ever given to a 30 year old free agent who has never made an All Star game. What? Yeah. Wow. Wow, that's really really interesting. And I like Gallo. I thought he would have been great in Dallas. He was good in Oklahoma City, but this is a lot of money for him, where you have already a lot of young wings in Cam Reddish and uh, Hunter from Virginia. He's going to play over one of them. They sign Rondo for $15 million over two years. Don't know what Rondo brings to this team. <laughs> like Rondo, Rondo should be on a Maybe championship a contender. Maybe, but like Rondo should be on a championship contender competing in the playoffs, doing playoff Rondo things. Like he's not going to yeah. be able to do that in Atlanta. They yeah. two years, 10 million for Chris Dunn. Okay, fine. Take a swing on a, Good defender. I like Chris Dunn. I, like Dun. I think he can play with Trey Young or or solo. I like Chris yeah. Dunn. I think that's a good shout. Um, 
I'm not sure he moves them into the playoffs. In fact, he's not going to move them into the playoffs. But but I, I, I think that's a good move. But then they signed Bogdanovich to an offer sheet, four-year, $72 million. He'll help them. He, he can shoot. But again, you have all these super young wings. He's a young wing. Like, who he's going to take... Kevin Herter's minutes. He's going to take DeAndre Hunter's minutes. He's going to take Cam Reddish's minutes. Like, well, he's not that young. I think he's like 28. But yeah, the thing that confused me personally was why are we paying, you know, a combined whatever it is, 135 million dollars for those guys, Gallinari and and Bogdanovich, who are big wings, when guys like Obi not Obi Tom, but Denny Abja or Devin Vassell, you know, were on the board and available available to be drafted. Um, it makes no sense. It, it feels a little weird in terms of their timeline. I mean, like, are they already worried that Trey Young is going to be upset that they're not in the playoffs yet and start saying that he wants out? Because that's what it feels like to me is that they're trying to escalate and compete for the seven or eight seed in the East and get blown out by Milwaukee or Boston, Toronto, Miami, like one of those really good teams, maybe even Brooklyn. And this team, you know, Rondo and Chris Dunn theoretically helped them on defense. They clearly forgotten that Rondo's going to play like 45 games a season, like where he actually cares, especially for a weak team like Atlanta. Trey Young's still abysmal on defense. And by playing Chris Dunn and Rajon Rondo, what do those guys do off the ball for you if they're going to play at the same time as Young, right? Like, So if they're going to try to help the defense yeah, with Trey Young, you don't have to guard them off the ball because they're both very weak perimeter shooters. And Bogdanovich and Gallo makes sense. We've talked about this you know, a lot right, right now. Is that they have so many wing, young wings, and now they have three centers. Like This team just doesn't make a lot of sense. And everyone loved – I think Travis Schlenk still runs that team from – he was with – Golden State, like everyone loved him when when he got hired, but like, why are you escalating? Like, is it because Trey Young signed with Clutch Sports this off season that like he's going to demand a trade to the <laughs> Lakers? Like, guys, like, okay, Luca made the playoffs with Dallas, but he has Kristaps Porzingis with him, and Luca is better than Chris is better than Trey Young because he's just undoubtedly, and he's also just more mature as a basketball player. He played overseas, he knows how to win more. Trey Young could end up being, I don't think it will happen, but he could end up being better. And you just have to let them develop at their own pace and timeline. This seems like they're escalating the process, as you said. They're just pushing the timeline way forward, and it doesn't make a lot of sense. I agree. I agree. The timeline is very confusing. And then the last team is Detroit. We mentioned this at the top about they should have taken Terry's Halliburton. They take Killian Hayes. They overpay for Jeremy Grant, giving him three years, $60 million. Overpay for Mason Plumley, three years, $25 million. I can't remember if they signed Jaheel Okafor and trade him or signed and kept him. They drafted Isaiah Stewart from Washington. And yet they sign and trade Christian Wood, who is better than all the big guys that they brought in for three years, $45 million. Like, I don't know what they're doing. It you know, doesn't make sense. A, they did a couple things that I think were okay. Um, I liked that they moved off Kennard and, mm. and he was going to be um, a big contract. Yes. And, and brought in Sadiq Bay and Musa and a draft pick from the Nets. Um, I liked that they just tried, they brought in, uh, they just traded for Zaire Smith from the Sixers. Um, 
good potential kind of risk. It made no sense why Philly gave but, him up, by the way. Yeah, I didn't really get that. Um, I'm sure there was something to it. Um, but just generally, it feels a little weird to me um, to to bet on Jer- – I mean, I get betting on Jeremy Grant over Christian Wood, but it just doesn't feel like you're the type of team that needs that much of a sure thing. You should go for the higher ceiling guy. Um but maybe Christian Wood said there's a zero percent chance I'm playing here, um, and you know you may as well at least get an asset for me. Yeah, it's you know, they they have a lot of big guys. Maybe you know maybe we're all laughing at them because they have so many big guys. But they're like, look, there's so many guards in the NBA. It's a lot easier to find like a good average point guard, right? But there are way fewer good big guys. Like, look, we just need to take tons of swings on these guys. And let them play and try up a bunch of these guys out to try to find the Christian Wood who turns out to be very good. So maybe that's just their strategy is take a chance on a bunch of big guys because it's harder to find an elite, above average, good big guy in the NBA than it is to find a guard right now. Yeah, I mean they did it with Derrick Rose too. Yeah. Um, I part of me wonders if if there's a move for Rose waiting to happen as well. Interesting. Yeah, very interesting. The last thing I'll say on free agency before we flip over to a little college basketball talk is okay, okay. this was a great offseason for shooters. Joe Harris, four years, $75 million to stay with Brooklyn, which in the grand scheme of things, when you say, okay, Charlotte has to overpay, you know, this is a championship contender giving $75 million to Joe Harris, who was a good four-year player at Virginia was basically traded off the Cavaliers for luxury tax reasons, gets a chance with Brooklyn, and he has worked so hard, has turned into like just an awesome NBA player. And he can really, really shoot, and he got $75 million. Davis Bertans, five years, 80. Unfortunately, he stays with Washington and won't win that much <laughs> in the short term. But he got $80 million. If you can really, really shoot in the NBA or if you're in college, you're going to get a chance – to get paid a lot of money. You know, even Bogdanovich in Atlanta, $72 million for for Bodon Bogdanovich. But Buddy Heald is on a big deal, I think, with uh, Sacramento for the extension. Like, if you can really shoot, that's a a real, real role for you. And It's the one skill that pays. And especially... It's not the only skill that pays, but it's one skill that really pays. (laughs) and, And especially now, and it's so funny to me when, you know when you go through the NBA draft, right, of the guys who you come out are really, really good shooters. And yet the guys who aren't as good shooters still get picked really, really high. You know, like a lot, so many of those guys in the top 10, what was their main thing to work on? Shooting. And I understand most 18, 19-year-olds aren't going to be great shooters, yeah. but like Aaron Nesmith was a very good shooter in, for uh, Vanderbilt unknown how much he can do, but he can really shoot. Sadiq Bey, good shooter at, at Villanova. Uh, Terrell Terry from from Stanford, awesome, awesome shooter. And I don't know if anyone in this draft will turn into the Joe Harris type, but like a guy like Sam Merrill, who stats at Utah State were, I've mentioned this a couple times, like he scored over 2,000 points. He shot... For his career, he's a 47% from the field, 42 from three, 
89 from the line. Like, it, not going to say he's the next Joe Harris, but like, why aren't teams taking more chances on these guys who are high volume elite shooters in college? Like, I understand there's the defensive concerns, but right. if these guys can really, really shoot, that's clearly the most, most valuable thing. Like, take a guy, stick him in the G League, and just see if he can get better and play. Like, I, I don't know. But to all, to, to all the college players out there in this year's draft, you're going to start seeing all these dudes start chucking up even more threes in college. They're like, Joe Harris got $75 million. <laughs> <laughs> Marcus Morris got $64 million. Bertons you know 80. Yeah, yeah. Hey, guess what? I mean, it's a it's a good uh, it's a good business to be in uh, professional basketball and specifically being a shooter within it. And you know, shooting coaches are the next thing that's about to to pop off. They're already popular on Instagram and Twitter, like all all those shooting quote unquote shooting experts. Uh, I gotta get on that. I gotta get on that, dude. You gotta. You could make a killing here in New York City. Just start all the fourth graders. Just be like, "Look, I'm a shooting <laughs> coach. We're we're gonna get you to the NBA. We start building the form, building everything right. Flipping over to college now. You know, enough NBA. We're both college basketball guys at heart. My favorite team, the Gonzaga Bulldogs, ranked number one. In the country, in the AP Top 25 poll to start the season, go Zags. They bring back a lot, a lot of talent, and I think it's our year. Our, you know, I say as a kid from who's never been to Spokane, Washington, never really been to the West Coast. I think it's our year. It's hard to argue. I mean, Gonzaga is really, really, really good. I mean, they um, bring back. Um, Joel Ayayi, awesome. Back, Corey Kispert, incredible. They, um, for some reason, I thought maybe I'm totally wrong. I thought they were bringing back Philip Petrusov. I thought he was staying, um, but maybe I had that wrong. And then, I mean, they add in Jalen Suggs, who, who was a top five recruit from uh, I think oh, he's from yeah. Michigan or Minnesota. Yeah, I think he's from Minnesota. If I'm not mistaken, he was also a um like a top five, uh, or not a top five, but I think he was like a high four-star top 50 football recruit in the country as well. Whoa. Um, he was really, really talented. Um, I guess Petrusov didn't stay. For some reason, I thought Petrusov... Yeah, he signed in Serbia. Oh, okay. I missed that. I apologize. Um, but they bring back a lot. They add in a lot. Um, is Nemhard uh, eligible? Um, I, the, the transfer from Florida. Cause, I, I want to say really yes. High level guy as well. Want to say um, yes. If he can, if he can be there, you know, he's, he, I mean, I think he started every game at Florida. He, he yes. Was, waiver uh, granted. Okay. So, I mean, they're, they're going to be really good again. I, I, I mean, they are deservedly a top team in the country. I would argue that potentially Baylor might be better than them. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but coming off a great year last it. year too, and What's bring great a great year last year, bring back a lot of guys too. Just another really really experienced team like Gonzaga. Uh, yeah. 
we talked about this a little before we started taping. Iowa has a chance to be really good this year. People who love low post play, who whose favorite part yeah, of, of Luca Garza is probably the best player in the country. Yeah, people who watch the Last Dance or old games during the pandemic, like man, I miss post play. Iowa <laughs> is the team for you. Luke Garza is really really good. I know that we're joking around here, but look, no, he's awesome. He's awesome. He's awesome, and he's. And, really good. and he's in the right conference, too, because the Big Ten still plays physical, slow, bully ball style of basketball. I'm excited for the matchups between him and Kofi Cockburn when yes. Iowa plays Illinois. Yes, and Illinois, top 10 team in the preseason. A lot of, lot of expectations. I'm going to butcher his name, but Ao Dosuma, who's the point guard, he's back. He's terrific. Really good. They bring in perhaps my favorite recruit in the country, Long Island Lutheran's uh, own point guard, Andre Curbelo. Okay. He was in, he was an awesome high school player, and he can help them. He just he just knows how to play basketball. As you mentioned, Kofi Cockburn, uh, our own Wesleyan's own Austin Hutcherson. Shout out to him. Absolutely. Illinois, we'll see how they deal with the, the pressure of last year. They were like, hey, this team has a chance to be really good, and then they were pretty good. This year, it's Illinois is really good, and now the expectation is that they are going to be really good. Let's see how they handle that for a team who, let's just be honest, it's, it's has a it, different pressure. It's a different pressure to go from the hunted to go from the hunter to the hunted. And look, Illinois is a program who hasn't been in this position in a really long time. So let's just see how how they handle. It. I'm optimistic. Uh, I am as well. I, I we talked about this before off air as well. I really like Brad Underwood. I think he makes teams better. Kentucky. I don't know if you follow Coach Calipari on Twitter, but he likes this team, Coach. <laughs> I, I never saw that coming. Oh, my God. <laughs> they have a long way to go, you know, like every college basketball. That, that was one of my favorite parts about playing college basketball was, like, the first basically three and a half weeks of the season after every practice and every game, it was, hey, we still got a long way to go. And, like, then at then at a certain point, it's, hey, we, we got to, you know, we, we, we got to get past this. We, like, a long way to go like now we're running out of time to really, to really put this all in <laughs> but, but like calipari gets it that, that like he's like look we could stink or be average but like i have the most talent probably have the most talented team in the country one of the five most talented team, team in the country he's gone he's gone to the final four with nine seed kentucky teams he's gone to the final four with undefeated teams like this dude just knows how to win and he knows how to get them all to gel at the right time that's why they're always one of my most entertaining teams is because of calipari's twitter account He's like, like, uh, a, a, like a couple years ago, he was like PJ Washington. Cats fans, you're gonna love this guy. Just gives it all, and we're like, dude, it's been four practices. <laughs> <laughs> I think, <laughs> like, it is hard to argue with that. They have, you know, this kid Brandon Boston Jr. from California. Yes. Um, or well, he's listed as from Georgia on the roster, but I thought he would played high school in California. He people are saying he might be the best player in the SEC, which is um, aggressive. Yeah. But I like that they're also adding in um, some veteran guys. Olivier Saar. Yes, from Wake. Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, I think uh, who's the other one? Davion Mintz. Um, you know, to go with the guys like you know, um, Boston and. You know, uh, uh, Lance Ware from New Jersey yep. and Terrence Clark from Brewster Academy up in the Nepsack. I, I 
I think that the grad transfers, the guys like the Reed Travises and the um, I'm spacing Nate Sestina uh, from from Bucknell. You know what? If they even if they don't have you know NBA futures, I think they just provide a different balance. Yes, um, that that really helps. And look, the Pac-12 may be back this year too. In the top in the preseason top twenty five, got Arizona State, Oregon, UCLA. It'll be fun to have some good late night games. I think the Big Ten and the Big East are still going to be the best conferences in the league just because those teams are always so stacked. Wisconsin, Illinois, Michigan, Michigan State. Ohio State is in the preseason top 25. Uh, yeah, they're, they're going to be interesting. I'm, I'm curious. I, I'm excited to see the two Harvard transfers, Seth Towns at Ohio State and yeah. Bryce Hall. I want to see those guys who were unbelievable Ivy League players. Um play in these big big leagues because i think they're going to be really good yes and uh duke carolina hopefully carolina will be back this year coming off the worst year in carolina basketball history under roy williams it'll be better look they can't be as injured as they were last year like people are like oh they weren't very good look it was it was a weird team to to begin with but when they were healthy they were like seven and one and then Cole Anthony gets hurt. I think Armando Bacot got, got hurt. They had a bunch of guys get get hurt. And all of a sudden, it's like, look, in a crazy competitive conference like the ACC, it's really hard to compete if you don't have your your best players. Uh, I'm, I'm curious to see, you know, they have some really talented young guys. Walker Kessler, Caleb Love, um, I think are both really highly touted freshmen. Um, I saw, I got a chance to see R.J. Davis play at Archbishop Stepnak last year. I think yeah. he's going to be good so I, I i am excited to see what they can do um but I, 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 i'm i'm just a little skeptical I, I just think there might be bigger issues than just injuries there i hope not but but i have that concern flipping over to the college football side of things look ohio state was on upset alert last week they almost dropped it to indiana uh, as much sad. as we raved about justin fields a couple of weeks ago he struggled he struggled uh, are you concerned at all about your national championship hopes if Indiana, who's a good team, put up 35 on you? Um, y- yes and no. Yes and no. I think that um, Justin Fields played the worst game he'll ever play in his entire life. I mean, and, and by that I mean that had to have been the worst game he's played from, you know, the time he played Pop Warner through – what will be his future in the NFL to, you know, playing flag football with his grandkids. He will probably never play that <laughs> football again. Um, that's my assumption and my hope. Um, so that doesn't worry me. Um, the secondary worries me. I think our, our pass defense is, is a significant concern. Um, I think that, they need to fix that. I think they had a couple recruiting misses in like 2019 and 2020, especially at the cornerback position. That's coming back to bite them a little bit. Um, but having said all that, um, you know, if Indiana gives you a scare, what should you do? Uh, well, just go get a commitment from, uh, you know, two of the 15 best players in the class of 2022. <laughs> Three days. So, uh, I mean, everyone's feeling really good about them. I, th- put it this way, in the class of 2022, and I don't mean to move it from on the field to recruiting, but obviously they're, I think they're very much intertwined. And um, there are 10 
10 of the top 50 players in the class of 2022 are committed right now. Um, five of them are committed to Ohio State. That's so, good. Um, th- that That is good. Yeah, I, I would go as far as to say that's better than good. Um, they have three five-star prospects. No one else has more than one right now in the class of 2022. So um, it's not to say that, that Clemson and uh, Alabama and Georgia and LSU are not going to get back up at the top of the rankings like they always are, but what Ryan Day is doing right now is just clinical. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it really it really is amazing. I mean, he single-handedly is putting Tom Herman on the hot seat, right? Like, yeah. it's 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 insane, and, and I think that on the field they're going to fix it. Um, I'm worried a little bit about their pass defense against Graham Mertz in Wisconsin, against, you know, potentially – uh, playoff teams uh, like Northwestern. Clemson, but... You gotta be worried about about the Wildcats. True, true, true. That is right now looking like the Big Ten championship game opponent, uh, Peyton Ramsey, uh, I believe, is their quarterback. But I, I'm not. I, I would say my panic meter is still relatively low. Okay, okay. A good game on Friday too. We got Notre Dame at North Carolina. Ian Book, Sam Howell. That'll be a fun one. A lot of points. Fun. Big game That'll for, be a lot of for fun. Notre Dame. I think. Pittsburgh should call up Dabo on Saturday morning or Friday night and just be like, hey, you know, our bus, you know, uh, yeah, the driver put in uh, the wrong school. You put in uh, University of Clemson, not Clemson University. We're going to be about four and a half hours late and just see if Dabo just loses it because he did not handle the FSU game postponement or cancellation well. Dabo, settle down. You're going to win by 65 points when this game gets rescheduled. Like, yeah, I like that he's fighting for his guys and all that stuff, but I, I, I'm not particularly in love with the way he's been trash-talking Florida State and Mike Norvell. Like, dude, uh, it's a global pandemic. Okay, you got your game postponed, yeah. but you're going to go win by 65 the week before the ACC championship before you play no- Notre Dame again? I would much rather have that. As a player, I would much rather be coming off a win like that into a big game, feeling great about everything, than you know, have to come off another game, you know, if. Yeah. It just stinks that they had to go all the way. If I'm not mistaken, they went all the way down to Florida and not all the way down, but hey, I mean, they had to take a flight and everything like that. Yeah. Suck. I, it, I it, agree. It, it does like, okay. You know, you went down there and everything, but look, it's 2020. Like right, un- you gotta deal with it. Deal with it. It's not the first time your, your game got postponed. Like, Look, until the ball, we talked about this with college basketball at, at the before we start taping. Until the ball tips off or the or the ball gets kicked off, there's a chance that that the game just doesn't happen. So you just got to be adaptable. You, you got to be flexible. Like Nick Saban is like, look, like we wanted to play LSU, but it didn't happen. You know, we just got to roll with it. And Dabble's like, oh my god, we didn't play Florida State. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I agree with you. I agree with you. Well, Coach Sass. Appreciate all the time. This is an extra long one. We got a holiday weekend, Thanksgiving as always, a great holiday, but also, you know, even in the smaller social distancing, smaller gathering, Thanksgiving, we gave a little extra content today to help people get through it. If they don't want to talk politics with whoever is at the Thanksgiving table, you can listen to us talking NBA, talk to the college. To and from your Thanksgiving dinner. Not exactly. Just one way. Not exactly. Just one way. Or any, you know, PlayStation 5, the GameStop rumor, 
Rumor Central says it's gonna every store is gonna have like a couple PS5s available on Friday. If you're gonna camp out overnight for a PS5, we we got you covered. We got you covered with a lot of content. So we did this for the people. Uh, I'm I'm happy to um, do what we do, David. It's it's a challenge to talk sports with someone else who enjoys talking sports. <laughs> I think I'll pull through. I think I'll be okay. Coach, have a great, happy Thanksgiving, and we'll talk to you next week. All right. Happy Thanksgiving. That'll do it for this episode of The Double Double. If you like this podcast, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. And you should subscribe, rate, and review. Five star would be much, much appreciated. Also follow us on Twitter at DBL underscore DBL podcast. We'll be back next week. Take care. Have a great Thanksgiving. And make it a great day.